We're so glad to be able to share this time of worship with you. Church, God's been good to us. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you today about the idea of fanning into flame the gift of God that we've received. Anybody in the room received the gift of God? God's grace, God's favor, God's gifting and his love and his mercy on your life. That's a gift. Amen. And that gift comes with some expectations. I want to talk to you tonight about what, this morning, about what Paul said about fanning into flame that gift that we've got. Anybody in the room have gas logs in your house? Anybody got gas logs? You can raise your hand. Gas logs. I got a set in my house. We moved to Metropolis about six years ago, and I figured out pretty early on that the power goes out every couple of hours, so in the winter, it's important that you have gas logs because they don't have to have electricity to run. But I'd never had gas logs before. Actually, that's a lie. I'd had them, but I didn't know how to use them, so I never turned them on. When I got to Metropolis, I figured out how to use them. It got cold. About December 15th, by my estimation, Pastor Brian estimates about August 15th, he gets, starts getting cold. And I figured out we could save a lot of money by keeping these gas logs turned on. Those things will heat just about the whole house, you know what? Keep the windows shut, house is insulated good, they'll heat about the whole house. But I figured out it's really important for the gas logs to work that the pilot light stays on. You know what the pilot light is? The pilot light, now this is news to me, all right? I, I grew up in the country, but I didn't have to do any of the hard work. It was easy for me. We just, I just hit the thermostat and the heat came on. But the pilot light is this little flame that has to run 24-7, 365. If the pilot light is not running and the gas comes on, you got no flame, you got no fire. So the pilot light's got to stay on. And as long as that pilot light's on, when the fuel hits the flame, the fire comes up, you got light, you've got heat. It's a good thing. It's warm, and you can see. In the church today, I wonder how many Christians are living life with nothing but the pilot light burning. The light's on. You're saved. You've got the spark. You've got the light. You've got the flame. It's there. There's some life there, but there's no heat. There's no light. It's not hot. It's just kind of burning, but it's not doing anything. Today, I want to talk to you about the idea that God gives us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, which is this, church, it is not merely enough that we show up with the pilot light on. we got to put some gas to it and fan that thing into flame and get some heat. Amen? You look at our country today, our country does not need a church with the pilot light burning. We need a church with the flame of the Holy Spirit blazing. You see, there's fire available to the church today. But many of us aren't carrying it with us. But the truth is, we don't have to leave that way. Look at what Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to have it on the screen for you. We're going to start in verse 3. The letter of 2 Timothy was the Apostle Paul's last letter that he ever wrote. It was the last letter that we have in our Bible that Paul ever wrote. And he wrote this letter from a Roman prison about a year or so before his death. And Timothy was his protege in the ministry. But Paul didn't simply view him as a protege. Paul didn't view Timothy simply as a student. Paul viewed Timothy as his son in the faith. We don't have record that Paul had any earthly children, but he referred to Timothy as his son. Timothy was a young man, probably 17 or 18 years old, and Timothy had been called into the ministry. And as Paul wrote from this prison, Paul was clearly understanding that his fate and his time on earth was drawing near. He knew that his time was coming to an end, and he began to reflect on his life, and he began to reflect on the future of the ministry without him. 
And he understood and he knew that if the ministry was going to carry on, church, if the fire was going to continue to burn in the church at that time, it was going to take young men like Timothy to carry the flame. And he wrote Timothy this letter, and he starts in verse 3 by saying this. He said, Timothy, I thank God I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. And for this reason... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Church, let's pray together over the word of God. Father, I ask you to do your work today. God, speak to us as only you can. God, may my words be hidden behind your words today. May hearts be open to receive, may ears be open to hear, and may souls be open to respond. Father, your word says in the book of James that if we are hearers only and not doers, we're simply lying to ourselves. God, I don't believe there's a person in this room today who showed up with the intention of lying to themselves. God, I don't believe anybody woke up this morning and said, I'm going to dress up and I'm going to go to church and I'm going to lie to myself. God, I believe we came here this morning with the intention of hearing from you and seeing you and doing what you tell us to do. But God, we need your help to do it. And I pray you do your work today as only you can do. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. I want to talk to you today about the faith, the gift of faith that we have been given, the gift of the faith in Jesus Christ that we have inherited. And I want to start out the same way Paul does. If you notice, at the end of Paul's life, as he's writing this letter, Paul gets very reflective. Paul gets very reflective. I want to talk to you about the legacy of faith. The legacy of faith. Paul says in verse 3, I served the Lord all my life as my ancestors did. And then he talks to Timothy about his faith. And he says, the faith that's alive in you, Timothy, is the same faith that was alive in your mother and in your grandmother. You see, church, we live today in a world that tells us that every previous generation before us got it wrong. But we're going to get it right. We live in a world today that tells us that everything old is bad. We live in a culture today that tells us that all of history was a mistake, that the country that you live in was a mistake, that the religious institutions that built this country were a mistake, that they were a stain on history, and that what we need to do today, if salvation's going to come to our world, church, look around culture today and understand that the goal of our current generation is to tear down the institutions that built what we sit on today. That's the goal. It's to lie about history to repaint history in a way that meets the current norms, to tear down the old ways, and to start fresh, and to start new. That's why we're tearing down statues. That's why we're defunding our systems of protection and order. That's why we're changing the relationship between government and people. You say, Pastor, I don't like to get political in church. Church, the truth is, politics has invaded the world. It's true. And church, we are living in a culture where the ideology is that everything that's old is bad and needs to be stripped away, torn down, and erased from the history books, and we got to start new and do it our way. But church, the truth is, if we forget history, we are doomed to repeat history. Our faith in Jesus Christ did not start with you and me, amen? You see, there's a legacy of faith that we stand on today. 
We get to sit here in a free country, in an air-conditioned building, praise God. Thank you, William Christian. We get to sit here today in a comfortable, cool building, freely praising and worshiping the Lord because there are many who went before us that paid the ultimate price so that we could have it. And I'm not simply talking about the country of America. I'm talking about faith fighters. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about believers from all over the world who gave everything, their lives, their freedom, their livelihood, their families. They gave it all up so that we could have the Word of God and the freedom to worship Him. You see, as Paul got older, he began to experience something that we experience as we get older. The older I get and the older my kids get, I begin to think less about what my goals are and I begin to think more about what God's goals for them are. You see, that's called legacy. I look at my children growing up and I imagine the world without me in it to guide them. And when I think about that, it becomes incumbent upon me and it becomes imperative for me that I raise them up and I teach them a legacy of faith that came before me, was passed down to me, and is going to them because it is going to be on them to carry the fire of the faith that we received. You see, I don't believe hell can prevail against the church, but I also believe the responsibility has been put on me and it's been put on you that we lay the fire of the faith on their shoulders and say, sons, daughters, you got to carry this and it ain't going to be easy. But there's a legacy that you got to live. You see, Paul was writing to Timothy and he was explaining to Timothy, Timothy, I've set the standard for you. I've shown you what it looks like to give everything to serve and worship Jesus and to teach the lost world who Jesus is. But Timothy, it didn't just start with me. I followed my ancestors. Timothy, you're following your mother and your grandmother in the faith. Timothy, when I'm going, you've got to carry this thing. Church, what a tragedy it is that we teach our children how to play ball, and we teach them how to hunt, and we teach them how to fish, and we teach them how to play video games, and we teach them how to be social and how to have friends and how to have careers. And you say, well, Pastor, these aren't bad things. You're right, they're not bad things, but it is a tragedy if we teach them all these things and we do not pass on the legacy of the faith that we received from those who went before us. If there's something we need to reset today, church, we need to reset our idea of the preeminence of Jesus Christ in our life and the faith that we pass on to our children. Because if you look around now and say, I don't like the direction it's going, imagine the world that your children and your grandchildren are going to grow up in. That's what motivates me, church. I pray it's what motivates you. It's what motivated Paul. He was speaking to Timothy about this legacy of the faith the legacy of the faith let's go to the next point michael there's the legacy of the faith but he reminds him about the gift of faith there's the gift of the faith he tells timothy you've received this legacy of faith from your grandparents from your mother you've received it from me and then he reminds timothy that this legacy is a gift that came to him it's a gift the word here is the word charisma it's the word charisma. Now, the way we use the word charisma today doesn't necessarily match its old definition. Today, we use charisma like this. We see somebody like Chris Albright, and we say, man, Chris has got charisma. Everywhere he goes, he's got a group of people following him. Everywhere he goes, he's just attracting people to him. Chris, you're looking at me like that ain't true, buddy. I don't know what your problem is. Everybody loves you, brother. We look at charisma as if it's some kind of natural gifting that we're born with or perhaps that we've cultivated. But the truth is, Paul told Timothy, Timothy, the gift, the charisma that you've received, you receive that as a legacy from those who went before you. You see, church, the faith that we've received 
doesn't look like what the world tells us it looks like. The world may tell you it looks like this. If you go to church and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have adopted a belief system. You have adopted a worldview. You have accepted truth claims. And from the outside looking in, that may be what it looks like. When a person goes from death to new life in Christ, sometimes it maybe looks like their mind was just changed. The world might call it brainwashed. If you've ever tried to share your faith with somebody, they say, listen, you've just been brainwashed by that crazy cult down on 3rd Street. From the outside looking in, perhaps that's what it looks like. But for those of us that have experienced it, we know that it's more than that. We know that it's more than that. You see, I remember growing up, I'd heard the story of Jesus my whole life. Thousands of times I'd been invited to come to the altar and receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Dozens of times I'd prayed that prayer, Jesus, please save me. If I'm not, if I'm not saved, Jesus, please save me. Prayed the prayer. Man, I remember as a young man, about 19 years old, getting on my knees in Louisville, Kentucky, and seeing the Scripture for the first time, and understanding who Jesus was and who I was for the first time in church, I received a gift from Jesus Christ that night. I received a gift in my heart, and that gift was not merely something that I received and deposited away. Paul says it like this. He says, Timothy, the faith that is alive in you was alive in your mother and in your grandmother. You see, church, we don't simply believe truth claims. We receive a living gift when we come to Jesus Christ. That faith is alive in us. If you've received Jesus, that faith should be alive in you. It may look like a pilot light, but there should be something burning. There should be something burning. You say, well, I've tried all the religious activities, I've tried to read my Bible, I've tried to come to church, I've tried to do all this stuff, and there's just nothing there. Pastor, what do I need to do? I believe you need to receive the gift of Jesus Christ in your life. You see, the spark gets lit by the Father. He puts that in you. It is a gift. And Paul says, Timothy, this gift, you need to fan this gift into flame. It's not nearly enough to receive it. It's something that you need to cultivate and use. But I don't believe he was simply speaking of the gift of faith, the gift of grace, the unmerited, undeserved favor of Jesus Christ in his life. I believe he was also talking about the specific gifting that we as Christians get from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you read 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes about the fact that if we are in Christ Jesus, we have all been gifted in a specific way by the Holy Spirit to do ministry. Do you know that? If you know Jesus today, you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit in a specific way to do a specific thing in God's kingdom, in the ministry. One of the tragedies in our church today, and not just this church, but every church I've ever been a part of, is the 80-20 rule. Y'all know what the 80-20 rule is? In most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You know why that is? It's because the 80% thinks they're not gifted. And they look at the 20% that's gifted, and they say, okay, you guys are gifted, therefore you all do the work. And when the basket comes around, we'll drop a few bucks in it, but you guys do the work because I'm not gifted, you're gifted. The truth is, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if Christ is your Lord, you are gifted in a unique and specific way. And not only are you gifted, but you are gifted in ways that Pastor Brian and I are not gifted you have opportunities and abilities that we do not have. You have abilities and opportunities in ministry that we do not have. And Paul understood something that he was passing on to Timothy. He said, Timothy, 
You've been gifted by God that you know the Lord. That was a legacy that was passed on to you. But not only have you been gifted in the general sense in that you've received God's love and favor, you've been gifted, Timothy, in the specific sense that when I laid my hands on you and I prayed for you, God gave you a gift of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel, to pastor these churches, to be a leader in the kingdom. And Paul was laying this on him and said, Timothy, it's not simply enough to live off of your gifting. You need to cultivate and develop that gifting. See, I believe in our churches today, if we want to see this room full, and it's pretty full already, but if we want to start setting more chairs out and start packing more people from our community in here, or better yet, if we want to go out and start shining the light of Jesus Christ into the community, we can't live on the old 80-20 rule. Because the 20% of people that we think are gifted are not capable of reaching the community. But if 100% of us recognize our gifting and fan that gifting into flame and cultivate and develop our gifting, church, this community cannot help but be different. Because the fire will fall in Metropolis. I want to talk to you this morning about the fire of the faith. We've talked about the legacy of faith. we talked about the gift of the faith. I want to talk to you about fire. Paul uses this illustration of fire referring to Timothy's gifting. I think he does this for a few reasons. If you think about fire in the Bible, we first see the presence of fire in relationship to God way, way back in the book of Exodus. God called a man named Moses, and when God first appeared to Moses, do you all remember how God appeared? He appeared as a fire. He appeared as a fire. When God used Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt into the wilderness towards the promised land and it would get dark outside and they couldn't see where they were going, God would appear once again as a pillar of fire to light the sky and to lead them the direction they needed to go. In the book of Acts, in the first couple of chapters, when the Holy Spirit falls upon the believers who were gathered together in the upper room when Jesus had told them, you're going to do the work of the ministry, but you've got to wait until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When the gift of the Holy Spirit showed up, what did it look like, church? Tongues of fire resting on them. You see, church, fire represents the presence of God. What Paul was telling Timothy is if you've got Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've got the fire of God burning in your soul. You've got the presence of God active and alive in your life. And church, this is so important because how often do we feel alone in our struggles and in our battles? How often do we feel like nobody sees me? Nobody knows what I'm doing. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody understands my struggle. Nobody hears me. Nobody notices me. Nobody can relate to me. Church, Paul was telling Timothy, Timothy, this work is going to be hard, but God goes with you and he sees you and he hears you and he speaks with you wherever you go. He had the presence of God. Fire doesn't just represent the presence of God. Fire represents the power of God. Fire represents the power of God. In the year 2018, the state of California experienced over 8,000 wildfires in one year. 8,000 wildfires swept across the state of California in 2018, causing over $143 billion of property damage. $143 billion of property damage. If you do the math, if you worked 40 hours a week, 8 hours a day, for 52 weeks in a single year, you would have to earn $71 million an hour in order to pay that off. It's a lot of money. You see, church is a unique, fire rather, is a unique element. What begins as a small spark and a small flame, easily extinguished, when cultivated, when fueled, can grow to enormous proportions. 
and it can become extremely powerful. I believe Paul used the illustration of fire for Timothy because, church, your gifting is just like that flame. If all it is is a pilot light, it doesn't put off much heat, doesn't put off much light, not good for a whole lot. But, church, when you begin to cultivate your gifting, when you begin to exercise your faith and put fuel on the fire that God has put in your life, what you'll find is that you will begin to see your influence spread. You will grow in your faith. You will grow in your gifting. And what can happen in the early church where thousands a day were being added to the church, church, we believe it can happen today. You see, we don't simply believe that the fire of the Holy Spirit working in the world is something that we have to simply read about from 2,000 years ago. We believe it can happen again, and that's why we do what we do. Because God has put that fire in me, and he's put that fire in you. The question is, will you fan it into flame? Fire represents the power and the potential of God. But it also represents the purpose of God. Fire represents the purpose of God. Fire has two purposes. Fire gives off light, and fire gives off heat. It gives off light. It gives off heat. It illuminates. Now today, we don't use fire too often to illuminate things, to put off light. We've got fancy LEDs now. We don't need it. But for thousands of years, fire was the only thing we had if you wanted to see anything when it was dark outside. Fire was necessary to illuminate. The idea is that when there is illumination, when there is illumination, there is truth. The Bible refers to Jesus Christ as the light of the world. Amen? It says Jesus is the light of the world. It said, and the light came into the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus referred to us as the light of the world. It says in Matthew 5, 15, that nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. You see, Jesus came into the world as the light of the world, but then he puts it on us to carry that on so that we can be light. Here's what that looks like. When you begin to fan into flame the gift that you've been given, and you take that out into the world, when people get around you, they will start to see the truth of who God is and of who you are and who they are. It's what light does. If you've ever been at work and somebody let a cuss word slip around you and they go, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't talk like that. There's a reason they do that. It's because you're putting off some light. And when they're by themselves and they're in the darkness, it doesn't bother them. But when they get around the light and the truth of who they are comes out, it makes them feel bad because they can see the truth of it. They go, oh, I shouldn't talk like that. See, church, too many of us don't put out any light because the fire's covered. It's small. It's minimal. It's not fanned into flame. God's desire is that we would be illuminating agents in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our jobs, in our churches, that the light of Jesus Christ would shine through us onto others. But it's also not only light, it's also heat. Fire gives off heat. You see, the relationship we have with Jesus Christ, it's illuminating. We see the truth. Amen? You can't come to Jesus without believing and accepting the truth. I talked with a young lady last night after church, and she shared with me that one of her co-workers at work had shared with her that he's a Christian, but he doesn't really believe that the Bible is the truth. He's a Christian, but he doesn't really believe that there's only one way to heaven, that there's only one way to God. He believes there's many ways to God. And I, I asked her, I said, well, on what basis does this person call themselves a Christian? Because the truth is, 
It's not simply enough to believe there's a God. You have to know the truth of how to get to him. You've got to know the truth of how we get right with him. How does God become happy with me? How do I be in right standing with God? And you can't have that today if you don't know the truth of who you are and who he is. We've got to know what he's about and what I'm about. You see, if you've come to Jesus Christ, the truth has shined into your life. It's been illuminated. And you know the truth, and the Bible says the truth will set you free. But it's not just about light. It's not just about knowing correct things. It's also about feeling. It's about feeling. It's about emotion. And emotion in our world today can get a, can get a bad reputation. Many people live their life based on emotion, and we see the danger of that. I'm going to live my truth. I'm going to self-identify based on how I feel about myself. This is indicative of a life that has no illumination, no truth, no light. There's no truth being shown, and it is lived purely based on how we feel, and that's dangerous. What's even more tragic is when a Christian lives their life based on how they feel. Pastor, I just believe God wants me out of this marriage because God wants me to be happy. That's not the illumination of truth. That's living life based on how you feel. You see, it's dangerous when it's all about heat and there's no light. But it's also dangerous when it's all about light and there's no heat. If you've ever met the person who knows everything about the Bible and yet they are not close to God, they don't communicate with others, they're not in relationship with the church, they're simply there to make you feel stupid when you try to talk about your relationship with Jesus. If you've ever met that person, that's a dangerous person to be around too. You see, it's not God's desire for you that you have all the head knowledge but none of the heart. It's also God's desire that there be a living, breathing relationship that you feel. Church, you should feel a closeness with Jesus Christ when you gather with his church. You should feel close to the church when you come together. You should feel God's presence in your life. And that won't always feel the same. There won't always be equal levels of emotion happening in your life, church. There are times when I know the truth about God, but he feels 100 miles away. But the truth is... When I align myself with him, I can feel his presence. It's about light and it's about heat. It says in Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, Since we have received a kingdom that can't be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You see, God's desire is not simply that you would know the truth. It's that his truth and his presence would consume your life. We are in a generation of Christians, church, that know the truth, but we are not consumed with God because we are too busy consuming other stuff. We are consumed, but not with God's fire. It sounds something like this. I love Jesus, and I know I'm a Christian, but I'm just too busy and too tired and too worn out and too distracted to go deeper with him to be active in church, to be involved in ministry. I love Jesus, but I just don't have the money to give. I love Jesus, but I just don't have the time to dedicate. I love Jesus, but I just don't have the energy to get into the Word. I love Jesus, but I just don't have the faith or the energy tonight to pray. Here's what that tells you. You've got a relationship in your mind. The truth is there, but there's no heat in your life. You see, God wants you to fan your faith into flame so that you not only know the truth, but you can feel the truth and be consumed by His truth. Because when that consumes you... 
Now your fire becomes contagious and it begins to spread. I want to talk to you last point today about the fanning of the faith. So Timothy, this gift you've received, there's a legacy behind it, there's weight behind it, there's history behind it, there's people that have died and given their lives to bring this to you. It's a gift, you didn't earn it on your own, you didn't work for it, you didn't pay for it, God simply gave it to you because he loves you. And Timothy, that gift is like fire. It'll only burn as hot as the fuel that you put on it. So Timothy, if you want that fire to burn, if you want to know the truth and be consumed by the truth, and you want that truth to consume others and other people to come into the kingdom just like you and I have, Timothy, you've got to fan that flame into fire. You've got to fan that flame into fire. I had a get-together at my house about a week ago. It was my oldest daughter's birthday. She just turned 11. She's going to be 20 soon. It's happening quick. Y'all told me it was going to happen quick, and I didn't believe you. Y'all were right. It happens quick. In fact, I had somebody, I won't tell y'all who it was, but it was Miss Connie Jeffords in the back. She told me this morning, she said, hey, on Facebook, I saw that picture of your wife in front of your house. I said, no, that was Charlie. That was my daughter. She goes, oh, that happened fast. I said, yes, it did. Yes, it did. It was Charlie's birthday party, and my dad was there. And my dad's an old Vietnam vet. And I wanted to build a campfire, and you can probably tell from looking at me, I don't have the capability to build a campfire. So thank goodness my dad showed up. And he was saying, hey, can I help you with something? And we were getting the food ready. I thought, no, you don't know how to prepare the food. You eat frozen pizzas three meals a day, so don't help us with that. But I'll tell you what you can do, Dad. You can build the campfire. He said, okay, I need you to go get me your leaf blower. I said, leaf blower? I don't need you to blow the leaves. I need you to start a campfire. He said, you don't have much kindling. You don't have a whole lot to put on there. You got logs, but you don't have much kindling. But if I can get a spark going, if you bring me that leaf blower, I can blow some oxygen onto that flame, and I can get you a fire going. And I'd never thought about that before, because in my mind, if you blow too much air on it, you'll just blow the fire out. But he was convinced, you bring me that leaf blower, we'll get you a fire. Church, it wasn't long before he had a nice fire going. See, he understood something about the nature of fire that I don't. The more fuel you throw on it, the hotter it burns. The more air that gets to it, the hotter it burns. Truth is, the fire of faith in our life often burns very dimly because we've got it covered. And there's no air getting to it. Let me tell you what the experience of faith looks like for the average Christian in America. It looks something like this. You hear the message, and the Holy Spirit illuminates your heart. You hear the gospel, you hear a preacher, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, this is you. This is for you. It's time for you to receive Jesus as your Savior. And your heart burns. We call that conviction. Anybody ever felt that before where you're gripping the back of that seat and you're like, I'm not going down to that altar, and 30 seconds later, you are at that altar. You didn't even want to. But it's like God was going to get you there. That's the truth. That's the fire of God illuminating your heart. The truth of who he is, the truth of who you are, the truth of what you need to do. It illuminates your heart. And you respond in faith, and that fire begins to burn, and you get baptized, and you tell the world who you are in Christ. But then there's this law that happens where the fire flamed up, 
you responded, you did what you you did what God told you to do, and then you start coming to church, and after a little while, it's kind of like, is this it? Like I just come to church? I, okay, I, I, basket comes around, I give some money. All right, the songs are on the screen. I I sing the songs, and is this it? And you start to think to yourself, well, you know what? All these, it's 20% of the church up here. They seem to have it on lockdown. They got the music. They got the preaching. They got their ministries all working. This is, this is fine. So I just kind of show up when I'm supposed to show up. And then it's like the things of the world start to distract us. And they start to kind of grow in and cover up that fire. And we start to look around the church and think, well, you know what? They don't really need me there all the time. I mean, as long as I'm here once a week, that's probably good enough. So we kind of start coming maybe once a week and we're here and we do our part. We check the box. Yeah, I went to church. No problem. Okay, things, things with me and God are good. And you begin to go through longer and longer periods of time where your prayer life kind of shrinks down and prayer either becomes non-existent or it becomes this ritualistic thing where there's really no heat. You're not really feeling much. You're not really hearing much from God. You're just kind of doing it to do it. So over time, that sort of fades away and church just sort of becomes this responsibility that you do. And the fire dies. And before long, what you've got is you've got that flickering little pilot light of faith in your life. It's there. You believe. It's, it's, it's true. You're saved. You're a Christian. But there's just not much there to it. And you come into church and you hear somebody preach and maybe for a second it kind of flames up. And you're like, yeah, yeah, this is true. This is me. I, man, I know I need to get back into this. But boy, soon as we get back into the world during the week, it's like whew, it just rushes in and crowds it over. The truth is, if you don't want that to be your experience as a Christian, it's going to take effort from you to fan into flame that gift you've been given. It's going to take effort from you. You see, I'm a believer that our faith, our, our relationship with Jesus Christ, I didn't earn it and you didn't earn it. Amen. It was given to us. It is a free gift of God for all who believe. The Bible teaches pretty clearly, once we've received it, God is not going to fan that thing into flame for me. It is not merely enough to believe the truth and have light and heat. You see, the love and the fervor and the relationship that I have with my wife and our marriage does not come to me when I look at my wedding ring. It comes to me when I shut off distractions and I dedicate myself to her. And I communicate with her. And I spend time with her. In fact, in marriage counseling, often it looks like this. You know, we were close and things were great when we first got together, but now we've kind of drifted apart and we've grown distant and there's all this distraction. And the pastor will say, well, how often do you go out on dates? And you say, oh, gosh, I don't remember the last time that we did that. It's been forever since we've been together. Well, how often do you share things in the home? How often do you communicate? How often do you turn off distractions and spend time together? Oh, we're so distracted. We're so busy. We've got kids. We've got ball. We've got practice. We've got work. We've got school. We've got church. We've got all these things. We're never together. And the answer becomes really easy. Hey, you've got to cut some of this other stuff out, and you've got to rededicate yourself to that relationship. You see, if you want to feel it like you felt it in the beginning, you've got to do what you did in the beginning. What Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, I'm about to die and you're not going to be able to lean on me anymore for the fire. If you want the fire to burn, you're going to have to throw fuel on it. 
And in America today, we look at our culture and we say, my God, we are losing this battle. We are losing this country. We are losing our families. We are losing our schools. We are losing our churches. And we look around and we go, oh my gosh, we are losing it, but we don't change our behavior. And we hope that the 20% of gifted people will do the 80% of the work it takes to fix it, and the 20% can't fix it. Where it changes is when husbands and wives dedicate themselves afresh to the Lord. And their fire begins to burn hot for God again. And they pass that on to their children. And their children grow up with a legacy of faith that says that we will shut out whatever distractions we got to shut out in order to get our relationship right with God. And then when we come to church during the week or on the weekends, we bring that fire in with us. And when the worship is going, we got our hands up worshiping because we want to worship in a way that is acceptable according to Hebrews chapter 12. Light and heat, we believe what is true and we feel what is true. And we worship because we see it and we believe it and we feel it. And as we do that, church, it's contagious. You see, the reason when we lead worship that we encourage you to clap and we encourage you to respond and we encourage you to sing and we encourage you to participate, it's not to validate ourselves. It's so that you will begin to see and feel the truth of what we know, which is God is worthy of all of our praise. And the fire of God can burn fresh in your life. 